You're listening to the Church of Life and Praise podcast. If you'd like more information about our ministry, please visit us at churchoflifeandpraise.com or check us out on Facebook. Our prayer is that you would come to know Jesus in a deeper way. Now, enjoy the message. There are moments in time when there's just a heavy sense of the presence of God, and he's just doing what he wants to do. And uh, that's fine with me. This is a very unusual word I didn't think that I would do. Turn with me to 1 Samuel, the 11th chapter. I had the most wonderful opportunity to spend time last night just listening to your pastor talk and and just listening to experiences that you've had as a church and experiences that he has had. And um, I shared with, with him that Years ago, I was handed a revival book, and um, the book was discussing uh, a gentleman by the name of Praying Hyde. And Praying Hyde um, was a man that knew God. He he was a man that was so um, used to the presence of God, and he was so yielded to the presence of God that he he would often go into what at that time they called a trance. And um, he would be behind the pulpit and he, he, would, he would just suddenly be caught up into the presence of God. And he began to prophesy about America. And he prophesied that there would be a day when there would be a great move of God in this nation. And he talked about how it would come from the East and the West together. And it would start and begin to just flow down. And he didn't see it as a bank-to-bank river. It was almost like he saw just like channels and and rivers. And, And it would start and it would go down halfway and then meet in the middle. From, from the two coasts. And then it went back to its starting place on the east and the west coast and gradually filtered the rest of the way down the nation and then came together. And at the time he had that prophetic word, we didn't have west coast states. We didn't have what he was seeing. And after spending some time with your pastor, I I did not understand um, that the mountain range that he was talking to me about, Cadillac, is called the Eastern Gate. And um, 
you are sitting in a in a very unique place and when you had the experience you had in 2019 and you, and you went to the Cadillac mountains and you blew the shofar and you did the things you did and opened that eastern gate just because COVID came didn't mean the goat gate wasn't open. And just because there hasn't been maybe what you thought there would be, that doesn't mean that it hasn't already started. And the word gives us a real big caution about despise not the day of small beginnings. And, and God begins to move, and sometimes it's, um, it's unchartable, it's unseeable, it's, it's um, unrecognizable until it gets a little momentum with it. And that particular prophetic word has stayed with me my whole time in this part of the country. And it's been something that has caused me to push for, all right, this is coming. We don't know when, and it's coming. And um, Dr. Pickett had a vision years ago and she talked about a hydroelectric plant and how God was, um, God gave her a schematic, actually. She was slain in the spirit for three days, and he gave her um, a schematic. Um, and when she got up, she drew the schematic, and um, she kept it quiet for many years, and she managed in, in her travels, she connected with a man who was very high in the military and in some advancements in science, and she handed him the schematic, and she said, can you tell me what this is? And he got very angry, and he said, where did you get this? How did you get this? This is top secret. Nobody is supposed to have this. And she explained to him how God gave it to her. And what God said to her was that he was connecting plants and connecting pipes. And that there would be a day when he'd pull the switch. And when he pulled the switch, the water would start to flow. And it would flow from from one station to the next station to the next station to the next station. And she always talked to me about how she could hear the water. And she would know, okay, well, you know, this, this is connecting up. And you have no idea, I don't think, where you are and what you are and what you're connected to. And what is going to flow from this gate? But it is very imperative 
that you stay on your toes and that you're always listening and you're always ahead. And because if you don't go ahead, come on, if you don't go ahead, then then the water doesn't go where it needs to go. And, you know, God is not, the things that have happened here are sovereign things there. They're sovereign moves there. God stepping into situations and places. They're unexplainable. Um, they are things that should not happen, but they do happen. And they're things that maybe even you step back and say, well, why? Why does that happen? But it's because you're, you're a gate. And you see, I didn't know when we were talking last night and you were telling me what you saw. I didn't know until this morning that that mountain's called the Eastern Gate. I didn't know. <laughs> but there are, there are things that are sovereign and there are things that are going on and there are things that are happening that are because it is the Eastern Gate. And um, we don't know when this revival will, will fully break into the surface. We don't know, you know, so many people, Smith Wigglesworth thought it was coming in his lifetime. Dr. Pickett thought it was coming in her lifetime. Ravenhill thought it was coming in his lifetime. You see from, from one mountain to the next mountain and you don't see the valley in between. Um, so we don't know the timing. But there are things that have happened here and things that have just been sovereign unitings that, that tell me that when you went there in 2019, you opened the gate. Now that means to me somebody on the west opened the west gate. And they had to open it about the same time. And so we don't know when all the water will get to all the stations. And he'll flip that switch. But what we know is that it's coming. And that you're having a privilege of sitting at a gate. And when something starts, it doesn't look like anything. If you went to the mouth of the Mississippi River you would not realize that what came out of that mouth is that massive river that is, you know, navigable by ships and, and is a major gate in this nation. And you, you wouldn't realize when you went to the mouth what was about to happen. And so it's, it's so imperative that you stay on your toes. It's so imperative that that you you move at just the slightest nudge, and um, it doesn't matter if it makes sense. It really doesn't, and it doesn't matter if anybody goes with you. That's irrelevant, and it doesn't matter if people come and people go. That's also irrelevant um, because every every station has its employees. Do you, you understand what I mean by that? And so, you know, some will come and 
and they're they're not they're not ready to make that move you know and that's okay maybe they'll make that move it's like i talked about last night everybody makes steps and we make steps at our choices and so they may come and then they'll come back you know and and it's like if if it's somebody that will further what god is doing here they'll come back and when they come back they will have had experiences that has gotten them desperate to do what they need to do and so if they come back welcome them back as if they had never been gone just watch them and make sure that they're ready to sell it out um i would like you to meet me in of second samuel the 11th chapter this is a very strange thing i didn't i really didn't think i was going to do this but i want you to see where david is at this point david has brought the ark in and sometimes we don't realize what he did when he brought the ark in but all of a sudden god parted the waters and david stepped from his era into the new testament era and we don't think about it but when he brought the ark in it was the first time the ark had been visible to anybody but the high priest once a year it was the first time that someone could come into the ark and there might be sin in their life and they weren't struck dead things got so with the high priest that they had to put a rope around his ankle and when the bell stopped ringing on his robe they had to pull him out he was dead and so when david did what he did it was such a era breaker and it skipped so many eras in god and it took them into a period of time where they lived in the new testament era of worship of access to the presence of god you know we all love psalm 91 but if we don't research what it's talking about and how it was ever composed we don't understand that this was a song that david composed after he brought in the ark and when the light would come through the curtains the t- the tent curtains that he had made and it would hit the ark of the covenant and it would hit the mercy seat all of a sudden the cherubim that were so large on the top of that their shadow would be cast on the ground and david was talking about what it was like to kneel in that presence and he was talking about what it was 
to live in the presence of God. Now, we're, we're going to be talking about that man. And I, I had to set that stage for you because you have to see, not only was David one of the best kings Israel ever had, not only was he the sweet psalmist of Israel and teaches us all to worship, and not only is it something that for eons of time, Israel went back to. And I want you to think about the things that are said in Ezra and Nehemiah, and they would say, and it was done in the pattern of David. I want you to think about how much that marked the way they worshiped and the way they lived. It's a, it's an, uh, a marker for us of how we live in worship. This man was not only the sweet psalmist of Israel, he was not only a man that had incredible uh, understanding of the presence of God. But he was a man that God said was a man after his own heart. And you see that distinction made only of Abraham in, in a declared writing. So this is the man we're talking about. This is the man, it is the same man that starts Second Samuel the 11th chapter, the first verse. It is the very same man. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when the kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab, Joab his servants, with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon. And it came to pass at evening time that David arose off his bed. Now, here's what happened. David stayed home. The kings never stayed home. And David was so confident in who Joab was. He was so confident in his army. He was so comfortable in his relationship with God. Please hear me. He was so comfortable in his relationship with God that he stepped out of position. And he thought it was okay. And we have to be so very careful when we are, no matter where we are, But when we are in a position where there is a real treasure, a real move of God, a, a real sense of his presence, we have to be so careful that we don't get so comfortable in that presence, so comfortable in the nature of God, that we step out of position. And there's one thing that Satan is doing, and he's moving people out of position. And he does it a whole bunch of ways. Sometimes it's with complacency. Sometimes it's with rash words. Sometimes it's unrest. Sometimes it's problems and difficulties and it makes us want to move. And all of a sudden, we're just kind of stirred up inside with an urge to move. We're stirred up inside 
with, we give things away. We make rash statements. We, there's just things we do. And it gets us out of position. And so now we're down in verse 2. And it came to pass at an evening tide that David rose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. When we get ready and we're being moved out of position, our minds are not at rest. And our minds are stirred up. And our thoughts are over here a while, and they're over here a while, and they're over here a while. Or we get captivated by a certain thing or a certain situation, and all of a sudden that's all we can see. And the reason is, is we're being nudged out of position. And you don't realize it, but where God has put you is key to what he wants to do. Our position may never be something that gets in the Wall Street Journal. But God puts us where he wants us to do what he wants us to do. And we can never get so comfortable in his blessing or so comfortable in the moving of God that we get out of position. So he's out of position. He can't sleep. He gets up in the middle of the night and he walks out on his roof. Now, I want you to hear what I'm about to say to you. Satan's first job is to knock you out of position. His second job is to make you restless, get your mind stirred up, get you confused, get it so you're over here a while and you're over there a while or you're over here a while or there's an event in your life that fixates your attention. At the end of last year, an event happened in our church and it fixated my attention. And for a period of about two to three months, because my mind was fixated on a a situation, Satan was using that to try to push me out of position. And you can get pushed out of position a whole bunch of ways. And it's, I never expected to bring this here today, but I want you to hear me. Be very careful as individuals. The majority of you are leaders in this room. Do not let the devil push you out of position. Don't let a situation or a circumstance fixate your attention. Because once he can get that to happen, then he brings in the confusion. He brings in what caused David to not sleep that night. So David walks out of his bed and walks on his roof. Now, as king, David was never allowed, really, to be alone. And what David should have done at that moment was call one of his guards or one of his servants. And he should have said, walk on this roof with me. I can't sleep. I need some air. 
but he did it by himself. And so the next step when Satan is trying to knock you out of position is he begins to get you to step out alone. And all of a sudden, you don't have the people around you that you should have. And what happens is it's not they wouldn't go, it's that you won't ask. Come on. I'm just, I'm just talking to you. And you won't ask. And so because you won't ask, you get caught up in your own thought processes. I was very blessed because the Holy Spirit reigned me in really quick. But sometimes we're not reined in really quick. And whatever this situation is we're fixated on or this nudge out of position begins to drive us more and more. And we're confused. We make crazy decisions. I was making a decision to leave New York and go to another state entirely because I was fixated. And the fixation can be anything. Do you hear me? It can be anything that your attention, that's all you can see. Can be 20 other things going on, but you can just see that. And what Satan is doing right now, particularly in places that are part of the hydroelectric power plant, is he's trying to knock people out of position. He's trying to get them tired. He's trying to get them to move over here and move over there. He's trying to get them into a place where their mind is confused. And then they'll do things that they would never have done. Think about this man. This is the man that wrote Psalm 91. This is the man that had the vision to bring the ark in and make it accessible to anybody. This is the man that set up 24-hour-a-day worship. This is a man who, when you look at it, there were in his choir, every eight hours, there was hundreds of, of priests singing. So I can't imagine what Jerusalem must have been like during that period. But if they pushed open their, their lattices, they could hear the worship coming from, from the, that tent 24 hours a day. And every shift had the same instructions. So every shift played drums. Every shift had cymbals. Every shift had stringed instruments. Now, I don't know about you, but when you get 350 to 400 people singing plus instruments, it carries at a distance. Jerusalem must have been, during that era, the most saturated city in the world with the presence of God. And he's the one that saw it. He's the one that set, understood how to set the presence of God. He was the one that was hungry to make the presence of God available. You do understand that's what it was all about. 
He brought the Ark of the Covenant in so that the mercy seat was available. As we're starting into this new era, our job is to make the presence of God available. And we do that with worship. We do that with understanding. Okay, he just said something, so I have to do it. It's crazy, but but I have to do it. We don't understand, but David was standing in a place where he was holding back the era they were in and opening a porthole into the new covenant. And he was letting the people live in the privilege we have of accessing the presence of God. I I want you to think about it. God said to to Moses, I'm going to meet you at the mercy seat. And then God told them to shut the mercy seat up. And the only one that went in was the high priest. And he only got to go in once a year. And David said, oh, I get it. I see it. And he was moved by the Holy Spirit and he threw open the barrier and he built a place. And as you piece the Bible together, passage of scripture by passage of scripture through Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, you realize that if somebody wanted to go worship, they could go to the tent and they could worship. And so our job is to make the presence of God accessible. Make the mercy of God visible. So now he's on the roof. And he doesn't take anybody with him. He's isolating. And he sees a woman. And when Satan is trying to move you out of place... He doesn't bring a temptation for you that would be a temptation for me. He doesn't bring you a temptation in an area that I've been delivered from and I'm strong in. He brings it so that it's an area that would be of interest to you. You see, we don't realize how much Satan hates Worshipping people. I had been in a worship service many years ago. I I came from a worshipping origin. And I had come out of a worship service. And I said to God, it was just one of those, you know how you ask God a casual question and it it's you ask it and you don't really even expect an answer. You you just ask a question. And I said, I I was watching a a particular worship leader that I loved very much, and I was watching all kinds of tragedy just hit his house and his family. And I said, God, why is there such attack against worshipers and worship leaders? It was a casual question. And that night I was sitting in my hotel room, and God said, do you want that answer? Now, it was a question I'd asked several hours ago, and it was casual. And, you know, it was one of those times where you got to say, what did I ask? 
and he said, Satan was created perfect. Satan lived in a perfect environment. And he couldn't withstand a weakness in his nature that God allowed. And he let that weakness grab a hold of him. And when he sees worshipers, he hates them. Because the Bible says man is made a little lower than the angels. And he watches us do what he knows he will never be able to do again. He watches us live in an environment on this earth, as bad as it is, that he will never be able to get a taste of again. But he said the next reason he hates is because no matter what he throws at worshipers, no matter what hits them, no matter what they sin and they repent, no matter if there's tragedies, no matter if there's brokenheartedness, no matter what it is, worshipers will right themselves. And they will begin to worship again. And he looks at it and he goes, they're made lower than us. And they still worship no matter what's thrown at them. And there is a hatred like you just don't know. It is not surprising to me that a church at the Eastern Gate is a worship church. It's not surprising. Because how do you usher in the presence and the mercy of God if you don't do it in worship? It's not surprising to me that some of the things that your pastor shared with me, that that very worship has been a dividing line between you and other people. Worship is not understood well. Come on. And worship is something that touches people where most people don't want to be touched. And that's in their emotions. And they don't want to be vulnerable. And in the process of it, a lot of times Satan attacks their head. You can't do that. You did this. You can't do that. You did that. You don't want to be with those people. You know what they did. Come on. Let's just be honest. And so it does not surprise me that a church at the Eastern Gate is a worship church is a praise church. doesn't surprise me at all. It doesn't surprise me that a church at the Eastern Gate is a word church, believes in the power of the word, keeps people concentrated in the word, memorizes the word. That does not surprise me because you can't have worship without the word. And it's really a crazy thing. You can have word without worship, but you can't have worship without the word. It's very interesting. They go together. There's just something about them. And it does not surprise me that a church on the Eastern Gate 
is getting that cry for evangelism. Because the cry out of God's heart right now is there is a harvest out there. The harvest is white. And what we have to realize is there was a harvest out there for a whole bunch of seasons in God. But Satan robbed the understanding of the power of the harvest. And the church is starting to regain that. And as the church regains the heart for a harvest people begin to get stirred for evangelism. It's just the way it is. doesn't surprise me that a church on the Eastern Gate has those components. It will not also surprise me to hear that some of you are fighting being knocked out of position. Will not surprise me. Will not surprise me to hear that some in this room have become fixated on something. Whatever that something is. It will not surprise me to hear that all of a sudden some of your leaders are are more coming in on themselves because he has to get you where your thoughts are internal and you're not sharing them with other people. You're not bouncing off of other people what you're thinking and what you're hearing. And so David gets on this roof by himself and he sees this woman. And she's very beautiful. Instead of David shaking himself, and saying, what in the world am I doing? Instead of him shaking himself and saying, whew, I got wives and concubines for this. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm saying this to you as a woman, gentlemen. I don't know how any of you think you can handle more than one of us. <laughs> That blows my mind. We're not an easy package. (laughs) So David had wives and he had concubines. They were accessible to him. But he kept looking. And the next step is a very interesting step because when he stopped looking or she went in, whichever one happened first, Instead of it being an event, he let Satan take it into a lifestyle. You see, that's why Corinthians tells us, take every thought captive. It's 2 Corinthians, it's the 10th chapter, it's the 5th verse. And the word bringing there says... To capture one's mind. When Satan is trying to move you out of position, it's difficult to capture your mind. The word thought in that verse means thoughts or purposes. And he's talking about bringing it under obedience. And that means observing the requirements of God. 
And when we start getting knocked out of position, it becomes harder to keep those thoughts subject to God's ways and God's plans and God's purposes. It's just harder to do. And David made a decision. And his decision was to allow his imagination to rule his thoughts. And Paul is writing a circuit letter. And we think that the book of Ephesians was written only to the Ephesians church, but we don't realize that it was a circuit letter. So it went to all of the churches in that region. And he's praying for all the churches in that region. And it's the most powerful prayer ever. First chapter starts in the 17th verse. I only want to call attention to one aspect of that prayer. And he said, I pray for you, what daily? That your mind is flooded with light. But we don't look the word mind up. And the word mind there is the word imagination. And he's saying to them, I pray that your imagination is flooded with light. You see, we never start sinning if we don't imagine it first. And God says to, to Paul, pray for them, that their imaginations are flooded with light. This is a prayer we need to pray for ourselves daily. God, flood my imagination with light. Drive out every aspect where my imagination is becoming dark. And if you don't think that happens to you, just run this checklist. When you hear a problem, is the first thing you think of, there's a victory in this and this is the answer and this is how we get here? Or is your first thought, this is terrible, this is horrible, this is where this can lead and this can happen and the other thing can happen. And before you know it, you're over here. You see, God said about man, his imagination is evil from birth to death. And so God says to Paul, you've got to pray that their imagination is flooded with light. And we have to pray that ourselves. And I'm just who I am. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not somebody one place and somebody someplace else. And I'm not somebody different with God because I learned a long time ago that God knows everything I'm thinking anyway, and I might as well say it. And so there was a period of time where I just, I was mad. I was mad all the time. And I was saying to God, why don't you kill these false prophets? And why don't you kill these false teachers? It's your fault. It's your fault they're deceived. It's totally your fault. If you would take away their money and take away their national prominence, and if you would just kill them, your people would not be deceived. Can you just tell me why you won't kill them? And I got sick. And all I could do was read the Bible. That's all I could do. 
And I got into Jeremiah. It's either 14th, 15th chapter, and it's in the Amplified Version. And Jeremiah says, God, if you would just kill the false prophets and the false teachers, it's your fault your people will be deceived. And I said, do you see that? We've been telling you this for thousands of years. Do you listen? No. And very sweetly, the Holy Spirit said, shut up and keep reading. And God said to Jeremiah, I am going to kill the prophets, false prophets. And I am going to kill the false teachers. But I'm going to kill the people too. And this phrase is in the Amplified. It is the most powerful phrase God ever broke in my spirit. I'm going to kill the people too because you cannot be deceived except by your own consent. And that led me to the other prayer that I'm going to tell you. Not only do we pray every day, God flood my imagination with light, but we pray all the time. God, I don't give my consent for deception in any area of my life. And if you can see that God orchestrated situations here, Your pastor told me the most phenomenal story about the way he met Ruth Heflin and how that connection happened and how she knew the name of the church and she knew the town and she came. Your church wasn't open. She knocked on their door and it was supper time and he didn't know who she was, never saw her before. And so he said, well, you can come in and have supper with us. And she said, we'll wait for you in the living room. She was here on a a spiritual assignment. Had the name of the church, the name of the town, and a spiritual assignment. Now, I don't know how many years that was from her visit to Reverend Raspberry's visit that sent you to the hill, the mountain, to open the eastern gate. But you see, it was one visitation and a long time in between where you had a choice to stay faithful. Come on. Where you had a choice to go through hardship. Where you had a choice to go through every attack in the world. But you stayed in position. And so now it's imperative that you are praying every day, God, flood my imagination with light, and I do not give my consent for deception. Because whatever happened to David deceived him so that he didn't go to war with the other kings. You you got to realize it was the smallest decision that set David up for one of the greatest tragedies in his life. Set him up for a tragedy that left a permanent hand of judgment on his house. You see, we don't realize we get knocked out of position. And all kinds of things are then allowed in 
that affect our families for generations, but affects the work we're involved with for generations. And it's paramount that we're praying those prayers, that we're begging God for his light in our imagination. So we, we find David, he just keeps going. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And I want you to see how this progresses. He just didn't go to war. It was a small thing. He felt it was okay. I can trust my team. I can trust my staff. I don't have to have my hand here. I don't have to have my presence here. It was a small decision. But it set everything in motion. And so by the time we get to this verse, David's imagination was so clouded that it didn't matter she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now hear me. The word wife should have stopped it. But the name of the husband should have put his feet in cement. Because Uriah might have been a Gentile. He might have been a Hittite. But he was one of David's loyalist men. He was one that David leaned on all the time. He was like one of David's inner circle of friends. So hearing that this woman was Uriah's wife should have put his feet in cement. But what we don't understand is if Satan can do the first thing, please hear me, the first thing is to knock you out of position. If he can knock you out of position, then everything else in your whole spirit man starts misfiring. Because you're not where you should be at the moment you should be there doing what you were supposed to do. And if you can't hear the Holy Spirit, oh, please hear what I'm saying. If you can't hear the Holy Spirit to say, stay put, what begins to happen is his voice gets quieter. And quieter and quieter. And the more you're not aware his voice is quieter, the easier it is to allow your imagination to go back to its old ways. The easier it is to allow deception to take over because I want you to think what did Satan use to shipwreck Eve 
He used a question. Did God say? That's all it took. And I want you to understand, the minute Satan can get you out of position is the minute he can start throwing questions. And if you cannot hear the Holy Spirit to get back into place, you will have a difficult time hearing Satan as the steps, hearing the Spirit as the the process progresses. And all of a sudden, Satan's questions throw everything out of kelter. When you think about it, when you're hearing the Holy Spirit sharply and Satan throws you a question, come on, you immediately know that. And it's like, shut up. Leave me alone. (laughs) But when you get out of position and you can't see the dealings and the workings of the Holy Spirit to force you back into position, even if you don't want to be there, it becomes so difficult to discern the questions. And so David is now saying, who is this woman? And his servants tell him, And instead of that ending it, and David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned to her house. Now, I don't want you to mistake what I'm going to say to you next. Children are never a judgment from God. Do you hear me? However, in this case, God allowed the woman to conceive. And I want to take you back again to the Garden of Eden. And when God removed man from the Garden of Eden, he put cherubim at the gate. And they turned every way and kept with a sword, and they kept everybody out. Why did God put cherubim at the entrance of the garden? Not only, it wasn't just to keep people from getting back in. What was the specific reason? There. To keep them from the tree of life, because what did God say? If they eat from the tree of life, they will never die and they will live forever bound in a sinful nature, and they will never get forgiveness. David was in a situation where Satan was licking his chops. I I have a, a tiny Lhasa, and, and she's, she's a spitfire. And she thinks she's 150 pounds. That's what she thinks. And she's 12. And last week, I let her out in the backyard. And I had come back in the house. I usually don't 
let her out there and not stay with her because I she's Houdini. And if there's the tiniest hole, I don't know how she does it, but she gets out and walks the neighborhood. So I have to be out there with her. And I'd gone in the house for something. I don't know what it was. And I came back out, and Debbie was like a statue. And she, she, was, she started hunkering down. And I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, in the world are you doing? And there was a cat that was hidden underneath some lawn furniture. And Debbie was lurching. Man, she was ready to go. And that cat took off, and Debbie took off like a streak of lightning. Now, the cat has to be twice her size, and she's chasing this cat. And I'm watching. Now, thank God the cat hit the fence. And I looked at her, and I said, Debbie, what were you going to do with it if you caught it? Just what were you going to do? And the way that fits here is this. Satan is always like Debbie. And he's always looking. You're hidden under the presence of God. But are you going to get out? Because if you get out, I'm going to go after you. I'm going to chase you. And if the Holy Spirit does not rescue us, come on, he catches and he pounces. And you can think about born-again Christians that started this process, got out from underneath that protective chair, Satan chased. They didn't allow themselves to get rescued. And Satan pounced. And David did not allow himself to get rescued. And Satan pounced. Now, the fence saved Debbie from being clawed apart. I would have stepped in if the cat hadn't made it to the fence. But the baby was the fence. Because now David had to do something to hide his sin. And the baby became the cherubim that circled around at the gate of the garden to keep people from the tree of life so that they lived in that state with no hope of rescue. And the baby became that cherubim because now David couldn't hide it. Because, you see, God was exposing it. And it all started from a choice. Now, David could have made a choice. You see, when we get out of position, and we start making these choices, there is always a point where we can stop. But because our imagination has been flooded with darkness again, and because we allow ourselves to be deceived, Satan says, if you do this, 
you'll get out of it. And we know the story well. David sent for Uriah. Bought Uriah back to the palace to get a progress report. He didn't care what was going on. He just wanted Uriah home. Got Uriah drunk and said, go to your wife. But you see, Uriah never got out of position. Never. He stayed with his loyalty to David. He stayed with his loyalty to the armies of Israel. He stayed with his loyalty to God. And he slept in the threshold of the palace. He never got out of position. And David checked on him. Did he go home? No. And he said to Uriah, why did you go home? And Uriah said, how do I sleep in a bed and enjoy my wife when the armies of Israel are in the field? How do I go to my bed and enjoy my wife when I should be supporting my king? And David didn't let him go back to the battlefield. You know that well. He brought him into the palace. He feasted with him. He got him overloaded with food. Listen, Satan doesn't care what he overloads you with. I want you to really hear me. It doesn't always have to be drugs and alcohol. Come on. It can be having fun. It can be the need for other people. It can be the need for everybody to think you're normal. Oh, come on. We're all there. We all know that people look at us and go. <laughs> we know that. And sometimes that need to be normal, come on. That can get us so we're foggy. It gets us to go, I, maybe I shouldn't do that. Come on. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I shouldn't admit that. Come on. And so David got him loaded down with food. And then he got him drunk again. And he sent him home to his wife again. And again. Uriah didn't go. And when David questions him a second time, Uriah said, how could I do that? How could I do that? When my companions are where they are. Listen to me. He never got out of position. It ended up getting him killed. But his reward is great. And David had now to get, he's desperate. And now he had another choice. He had Uriah right there. He could say to Uriah, I slept with your wife, she's pregnant, it's my baby. He was the king who was going to kill him. 
Come on, think about it. What was Uriah going to do to the most loved king of Israel? He could have confessed at that moment, had that moment of embarrassment and difficulty. But instead, he wrote a special dispatch. Put it in Uriah's hand, sealed, and it was his death sentence. Put him up toward the wall, and then what? Withdraw. When we get knocked out of position, when we allow our mind and our imagination to go back to its original state, when we allow ourselves to be deceived, when we get lured into a plan of the devil and he's waiting, just waiting for us, knowing that we'll step out from underneath the protection, we then get into a position where we take others with us. David made Joab a murderer. And I want you to think about this. That spirit of murder never left Joab. From that moment forward, think of all the people that he rationalized and he murdered. Think about it. And David had no choice but let Joab get away with it because David launched him on that path. But he made Solomon promise to bring the judgment for the murders. So David took someone with him. When we get out of position, we're going to take at least one person with us and usually more than that. That's just what happens because you're all leaders in this room. And that tells me people follow you. You wouldn't be a leader if people didn't follow you. So you don't understand. They follow you good or bad they just follow you. And Joab arranges it. And Uriah dies. And now Joab sends a message back to the king with another man. And he said, tell him that we lost this battle. Now I want you to look at how many other people lost their lives that day. They never should have. It never should have happened. And so when we think the ramification of our choices are just the people we directly involve, there's fallout over here. And so the messenger comes back to David, and the messenger says to David, we lost. And we lost all these people. But Joab said, before the king can get mad, tell him, and Uriah, your servant, is also dead. And I want you to look at what happened. David now takes that next step. 
And instead of there being repentance, instead of there being brokenheartedness, instead of there being a, I've got to get to one of the prophets. Come on. I've got to get to one of the priests. I've got to sacrifice. I've got to get in the presence of God. Instead of that, he said, good job, Joab. And don't allow this to be a burden to you. And the next step is we condone people's sin. And the body of Christ has gone through a stage where we condone people's sin. And we have bought a lie. And I bet if we traced it down, we would find the people that started it, come on, were like David. And they're condoning people's sin to cover their sin because they have no answer for their sin. And now they make it so that if you call sin, sin, you're hard, you're harsh, you're narrow, you're cruel. You do not have the nature of the love of God. You see, we forget God is a God of mercy and he's a God of love, but he is a God of judgment. And his love does not allow sin to abound. And so now, David is condoning Joab's sin. Now, David does what he thinks makes it right. After days of mourning, he takes Bathsheba, come on, and he makes her his wife. But all he's done is brought home his lust. Come on. And a prophet comes in and tells him a story about a man who had one lamb. And David, for the first time, says, that man is me. And he wants to know, what can he do to make it right? And you see, it all started with one decision to get knocked out of place. And so the prophet looks at him and says, you got one of three choices. And he told him what? There's going to be a sword and it will never leave your house. (coughs) Because what did it become? That murder became part of the family line iniquity for David's family forever. Think, Absalom had his own problems because he had a a Gentile mother and had all the iniquity from the Gentile woman. But think about how Absalom stole the hearts of the nation. Think about all the people that died in that war. Think of the hardship on the people that were with David when he ran 
It all was because of one decision. Do you understand how one thing swept us all the way? And it started with a decision to get out of place. Now, thank God David repented at some point because it saved his destiny. And we don't dwell on this aspect of David's life. It's not taught a lot. We don't focus on it a lot. We focus on all the magnificent things. And the reason we do is because when we're forgiven, it's forgotten. But God put it here as a warning to leaders. Don't get out of position. Because this is the progression from the moment you get out of position. And you have a place here. It's almost like what what Ruth Heflin and, and Reverend Raspberry was saying to you was, you're the keepers of the Eastern Gate. And that is an incredible thing. But it also is a thing that will put you under more attack to get you out of position. And who knows? There may be another church in the area, and they've had the same assignment, and you're working side by side, and you don't know. You see, Elijah thought he was the only one, and it took him in a massive depression. And one day God said, yo, I got 7,000 hidden caves. Get over it. So you don't know. There may be another church that has had similar experiences that are helping you guard this gate. But your job is to not get out of position. Your job is not to lay down the mantle of worship. Your job is not to lay down the mantle of the word. Your job is not to lay down the mantle of evangelism and harvest. Your job is to keep short accounts with God as the leaders of this house. Because the blessing of God flows through you. And so this is a day where if you don't remember anything else I said to you, stay in position. Ask God to flood your imagination with light. And tell God, I don't give my consent for deception. And always remember, keep short accounts with God. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Talk to Ann. Amen. Wow. It's a lot to think about. Amen. And uh, let's um, determine in our hearts uh, to stay in position, every one of us. When the enemy comes trying to knock us out, let's run quickly to the prayer closet and seek God's face. And and, uh, God's got a lot in store for us. And uh, a lot is resting on our shoulders. Amen. Praise God. Because sometimes uh, 
when we don't think it's going just the way it should, we um, make statements or we get our eyes on the situation and uh, cause our eyes to get off and gone. So let's keep our eyes on the prize. Amen. Remember who we are in God. And if we're part of the gate, and let's um, maintain our the cause and keep our, our minds and our lives, okay, um, pure before God. And ask God every day not to get us out of position. And what was the other one? Amen. And flood our imagination with light. And uh, we are living in times of darkness and the devil uh, is working overtime to destroy, to destroy God's people and the vision that God has given people. And we do not want to be among the crowd that loses our position. Amen. Praise God. So, amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. That is awesome. And uh, I think it's very timely. And I think uh, that's the reason why God had you speak it to us. Because it's very timely for us. Don't despise the day of small things. But uh, press into God, and uh, uh, we're moving in the right direction, I believe. So don't allow us to get out out of position, and you know, being seeking God's face daily, and then moving out uh, into the area of ministering to others, other people's lives, into other people's lives, and ask God to um, use us, Amen, and uh, position us in strategic places in this community uh, to uh, spread the gospel and take this message into the uh, community. Amen. Yes. It's interesting as this year is winding down that um, God started us out with the admonition to position ourselves in the light. And now he's exhorting us to have our imaginations flooded with that light. And so he's still on it. Let's pray that we are still on it. Amen. Praise God that we don't lose sight. Maybe that's a good, uh, I had another theme, but maybe that's the um, good theme for this coming year. Amen. <laughs> we positioned our ourselves in the presence of God, and and in that position, and we've learned a lot and seen a lot. Amen. And uh, the next thing is, is God flood. Uh, what would you say? Flood our imagination with light. Amen. And that that's that's needed. Amen. Praise God. That's uh, uh, it's awesome. Uh, I'm just. Uh, overwhelmed with that message today. I just, I give me a lot to think about, a lot to pray about, and I uh, just want to, uh, I want to stay uh, in the flow. want to stay in the flow. And let's pray for one another that we do not step out of position. Amen. And let's uh, unite. Remember the prophecy that we got Wednesday. If we'll put our shoulders together and tightly, and uh, God will uh, move and minister to us and through us. Amen. And we'll be united and move forward uh, in the things of God and in the power of God. And uh, this is exactly where we need to be. This is exactly where we need to um, um, ask God to keep us uh, in that position, oh God, and keep our eyes off on the 
mundane and the things that will so easily beset us and cry out to God for um, um, a vision that uh, will not be broken. Amen? Praise God. God is good. And uh, amen. We're going to dismiss. Has uh, any of the other ladies have anything to say? Amen? Nothing? We're so glad for all of you that... Pun. <laughs> well, we, we love you too. I mean, we're, we're, we feel privileged that you came. We really do. And uh, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, when I heard that you were coming, I was excited. And I thought, wow, you know, I get a chance because I can't go to Women of the Word. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I don't think they let me in. Okay, okay. Uh. <laughs> well, I was thinking that as well, you know. Right? Um, but anyway, we, we, had, we brought uh, the Women of the Word here. Praise God. I was so glad. Um, our ladies truly enjoy, are excited when the Women of the Word uh, time comes around and they're excited to go. Uh, there's one thing we've got to, and I wish we could, we could have, uh, the men are getting jealous, very jealous. And they said, the women get everything. And uh, said, they have Women of the Word. When, what can we do about the men? And so that we can have a, a men's group and go somewhere and, and have the men revived and stirred and everything else. Praise God. The women come back from the women of the word. They're all revived and all excited. And us men just stand there and go, oh. <laughs> Praise God. And because it makes us more jealous. So, so we gotta, we gotta play, pray that God won't, uh, that won't drive us out of position. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. God is good. Let's stand. Amen. There's plenty to eat out there still. And so, uh, um, amen. Okay. It, okay. If you. All right. Praise God.